Hello and welcome to Why Make, the podcast where we have conversations with artists from all walks of life and ask them what excites them and why they make with your hosts, Rob Helmkamp and Eric Wolken. On Why Make, we have Wayne Rabb, somebody uh, Rob and I both know well. He was our instructor when we were both at the woodworking program at Haywood Community College. He actually created the program at Haywood Community College, I believe, after studying at the School for American Craftsmen at Rochester Institute of Technology. I have not seen Wayne since I left the program in 1989, so uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to talk to Wayne about that Um, and his, again, his path from maker to educator to, um, I guess, retired person now. I guess he left the program in 2008. Yeah, Wayne. Wayne is doing competition swimming now, so we'll oh. get to we'll get to talk to him about his woodworking practice and his practice after his retirement. Right. So the sort of the uh, the creative butterfly. It's where you just use <laughs> one arm. It's the <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, so you haven't seen Wayne this whole time, but I I, I was able to to take part in a um, an exhibit called Chairs Are Just for Sitting in like 2009 with Wayne and then one of the Haywood students built a giant chair for that exhibit. Uh, Blaine Johnson, I think, and it was like 15, 17 foot tall chair. And Wayne was there and we all got to set it up. So I haven't seen Wayne in 10 years. Wow. So we're both, this is this is gonna be fun to get into a conversation with uh, our former instructor, Wayne Rabb. And I actually was in an exhibit with him at Grovewood Gallery probably 10 years ago, too. Maybe more like Oh, 11. right, right. Right, that uh, I can't remember the name of the show, but uh, I didn't see Wayne, but we were in that show together. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see Wayne after all these years and, uh, you know, reminisce on our, our careers as woodworkers. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, you know, what became of us after we left Haywood? So, uh, well, here's our conversation with Wayne Rabb. For me, this is a, he says this is a pilgrimage. This is a, this is a trip back to my roots. We filmed us walking in past the new sign and stuff. And yeah. Look, yeah. Looking like, Whoa, this wasn't we're here. here. This wasn't here. This wasn't this here. This definitely, we this, need to, this is one of the reasons. We need I to go left. stand in the empty lot. We need to do that. We need to go stand oh, right, in the empty lot. Where, I tried to get my parking space. But somebody was parked oh, right no. in front of the door, you know. Oh, right. The old building. So here we are at Make with our old instructor at Haywood Community College, Wayne Careful Rapp. about the old part. The old, <laughs> our former instructor. Our former instructor, right, yes. Our former instructor who has uh, <laughs> moved on to competitive swimming from uh, woodworking, a much more lucrative field. No. Uh, no, not at all. So anyways. Oh, yes, it is. I'm still alive. You're still, yeah. and it's probably contributed to you being still alive. Well, it contributed to bypass surgery. I had five bypasses the first year of swimming. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So now I'm swimming better than I did in high school. Wow. And, and you can do the flip turn? Yep. Oh, Not very well, but I can do it. Don't need it for breaststroke. <laughs> <laughs> so you swam a lot of your life. Well, I swam in high school and in college. Okay. And then nothing since then. Well, actually, when I first moved here, when I started the program, there was a YMCA in Canton mm-hmm. that had a pool, and I could swim there a little bit. But the pool got closed down because it was rotting away from all the fumes and things coming from the paper mill. <laughs> the fumes. Oh, the lovely fumes. Yes, yeah, so that was, was I told Brian. Memories. That, you when know, we're... I haven't been I haven't been this way in many many years. But when we we hit the Canton exit and I first got those first paper mill fumes, mm-hmm. it was like 
It was like perfume. It was like uh, the memories of 30 years ago. <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting. I just live a mile or two outside of Canton on the south side. I never smell it. The wind, the wind moves in the right direction. Huh? Is it the wind? The I was west. always told that people that have lived lived here for a lifetime just don't smell it anymore. No, I probably don't. You know. no, I very seldom smell it at all. Because I, I remember <clears> that after it rained, my car would smell like a paper mill. For some reason, mm-hmm. those yep. those heavy paper mill fumes would combine with the humidity, and, and my car, I'd open my car door, and it would just knock yep. me flat. <laughs> Well, oh, that's the wood paper product mill. also, isn't it? It, yeah, it is a yeah. wood product. It's all part of being a woodworker. <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> so let's begin at, the, well, not all the way at the beginning, but what was the first time in your, it could be your childhood or high school, that you made something that led you onto your career as a woodworker? Yeah, your first inspiration to make. Probably mean with my grandfather. <clears throat> okay. He worked for the railroad. <clears throat> he had a little shop in his basement. And I was probably only five or six years old at the time. Okay. They were getting ready to retire and move to Florida. We had to clean out his basement. He had built a beautiful wooden boat. Oh, wonderful. In his basement. <laughs> and no way to get it out. Had to cut the boat in half. Oh, no. That's my first recollection of woodworking. Was wow. cutting the boat in half? Wow. Yeah. Lengthwise? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see that, but from that, I got some of his tools. My sharpening stone oh, is wow. his original sharpening stone from back in the 20s. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> and I have some clamps and some chisels and things yeah. of his that I keep as keepsakes. Uh, I didn't get those th- uh, tools until I was in high school, mm-hmm. and I had taken, in junior high school, I had taken uh, industrial arts courses. Right, you yeah. had to take them, and I took a woodworking class and thought, gee, this is kind of fun. And then totally forgot about it until undergraduate school when in the art department you had to take introduction courses in all media. And I took an introduction course to woodworking with Doug Sigler. Okay. And this was at RIT? No, this was at Buffalo State. Buffalo Buffalo State. State. Okay. Just before you went to RIT. And so Doug was only going to be there one year. He was filling in as a sabbatical, uh, a teacher that was on sabbatical. Well... He wanted to create a job for himself, so <laughs> Good he Doug. encouraged in a peace, lot of Doug. people to take independent studies, and that's when I started woodworking seriously at that point. Yeah, wow. Was so you were, a, you were an arts major as an undergrad? Yeah, I was a fine arts major, you and I taught fine arts in high school in upper New York State for about four or five years. Okay. And there, so there was four or five years before you went to RIT? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, in uh, 70... 70, 71, 72, 1972, okay. I went to RIT. Right. Yeah. So who was, so RIT got endowed sometime in the, by the Kodak, sometimes in the early 60s, is that? Well, the whole campus did. The, the whole, camp, whole campus. campus. It wasn't did, specifically. The it wasn't specifically, program. right. Yeah. Um, and Wendell Castle was the first instructor there, or was it? Well, no, the first instructor was, um, this is my uh, senior moment here. Uh, Tay Frit. Oh, it was oh, Tade Tade Frit. Frit. Yeah, oh, you had mentioned his name. I thought, I thought it was Wendell, then Tade, and then... Yeah, it was Tay Frit first, and then when Wendell came along, uh, Tay couldn't handle it. <laughs> and then he moved on to uh, uh, RISD. Well, before that, he moved back to Connecticut and started a business where he was making furniture for hotels, Marriott's. Oh. Things like that. Okay. You know, all the room furniture, or he had a company that was doing that. And then he taught at RISD at that point. And while I was in grad school, he came a couple of times back for a week uh, stint to do Tated. workshops with us. Right. 
So that was my introduction to Tate Fred. When I applied to graduate school, Doug Sigler said, no, you don't really want to go to RIT. That's <laughs> when Wendell Castle was still there. Oh. And he didn't think. He was not a Wendell Castle fan. Well, he was. <clears throat> in fact, my first piece of woodworking was reminiscent of a stack lamination piece by Wendell Castle. Mm -hmm. In undergraduate school, Doug brought <clears throat> uh, an exhibition of craft work from RIT to Buffalo State. And there was Wendell Castle work and Bill Kaiser work in there. Okay. And I fell in love with Bill Kaiser's work. That's why yeah. I applied to RIT. Well, in the meantime, Wendell Castle left RIT and some guy named Jerry Osgood well. <laughs> showed up. I had no idea who this guy was, but I went to the Radio 80 show in, uh, <clears throat> in Rochester. That's a show they have every year for artists that work within an 80-mile radius of Rochester. Gotcha. And... Uh, Jerry had his chest of chairs. If you don't know what that is, look it up sometime. It's an incredible piece. Chest of chairs. Chest of, the chairs. Chest of chairs. I'm chest not familiar chair. with that. It's a, it's a chest of drawers, but it has a chair built into it. Oh. <laughs> so you can sit and tie your shoes. But it was an incredible collection of compound curved dovetails and all this stuff. And I just thought, hmm, this guy might have something to offer. <laughs> and so two years with Jerry Osgood and Bill Kaiser led me on this, this path, basically. Now, I, at the time, I wasn't sure I was going to go back into teaching, but uh, my thesis project, uh, when I had to develop the thesis project, <clears throat> uh, Hartwick College down in central New York was looking for a part-time woodworking instructor to set up, a, set up their wood shop and uh, teach an introduction course. So my, instruct, my instructor, or Bill Kaiser, told me about this, and so I said, okay, I'll give it a try. If you allow me to take two nights a week off, so uh, I think it was... Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, I would I would go down to Hartwick College and teach a class there, set up That's the shop. Then I'd come back and do my graduate work. <clears throat> and so my thesis was about setting up a shop and setting up a, an introductory woodworking class. Wow, that's great. And then after that, when I graduated from RIT, um, Jerry Osgood uh, told me about Peters Valley Craftsman in Layton, New Jersey. Yeah, And they right. were looking for a resident. So I said, oh, I'll give it a try. I'll go down and take a look. And fell in love with that because it's out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. right near the, the uh, Delaware River. Wow. And so I spent two and a half years there. <clears throat> and then Judy McCarthy, who was a weaver from uh, Knoxville, uh, just happened to be passing through Peters Valley. And she saw my work there. And, and I wasn't there at the time. She said, uh, this Wayne Rabb that does this woodworking, is, is he interested in teaching at all? And nobody knew anything, so they took her name and address, and I called her later. Yeah, and they were looking for somebody to teach the woodworking program here at Haywood. And, uh, so I had said, that oh. program begun yet? Or no, it hadn't begun yet. Right, so they well, just had... Well, no, it had begun. J uh, Gary Klontz was teaching the uh, uh, oh. pottery class. okay. Right, and and I was, he was still there when I was there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he was here when I was here as well. Yeah, yeah oh, he wow. retired two years before me. Okay. Because <laughs> he was here two years yeah, before I, me yeah. <laughs> at that point. So he, when right. he started, it was just clay. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anything else. Oh, and okay. that's when they decided, why don't we do a whole craft de uh, department? The, the production crafts. So that's yes. when it became, quote, unquote, production crafts. Right. Okay. So when I arrived, uh, it was just a big empty room. In fact, the room had been used by the recreation department for uh, a weight room, half-court tennis, really? where the big joiner used to be. <laughs> Really? They were bouncing the tennis balls off of that wall. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I never would have envisioned that. And, no, no uh, way. <laughs> the, the two instructors, uh, when I met them, they weren't real happy because they were losing their space. They were <laughs> so losing their tennis court. 
Wow. Oh, we never even fun. had a ping pong table. No. <laughs> you could have built one. <laughs> we could have. Yeah. No. Oh, my goodness. It, 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 was, wow. it also was kind of a, a, a funny happenstance, too. When, when I called them about this program, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I said, well, Virginia Commonwealth University has asked me to come down and interview for a teaching job there, and I'm going there on such and such a date. If you pay for my flight down and back to New Jersey, uh, I'll be glad to come and interview. They had never paid for anybody's interview, anybody to come to Haywood and interview anybody. Oh, no way. (laughs) Gary had to take the money out of his budget, (laughs) get me a hotel room, paid for the flight, and all of that. (laughs) And I got both jobs. Both jobs were offered to me. But oh, wow. Virginia Commonwealth was 90 students a week wow. coming through the woodshop. So it was a no-brainer, considering I could only fit 12 downstairs or in that. 90 studio. students. So I said, no, this is a good place. I'll come here. Yeah, and I remember being here because in the 60s, after I graduated from undergraduate school, Doug Sigler brought me down to Penland. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Doug was at Penland for that long. He was at oh. Penland for almost his entire life. Uh, yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, he had a couple of <clears throat> other close friends from school that taught classes here as well, and he liked it so much. Of course, he built a house down here. Well, yeah. built a number of houses yeah. down here. Yeah. And the sad thing is, he he just passed. He did yeah, pass last, last year. year. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace. The really sad thing about it is he called me from the hospital. He had just had uh, oh. a stroke, and he called me from the hospital. He could very, very barely talk, and he he asked me if. Um, I would mind coming up <clears throat> in August because he was being awarded uh, a teaching award from Penland, and he wanted me to come up and speak, uh, uh, tell some stories yeah, about him yeah. because he couldn't talk very well at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, when, when you get out of the hospital, give me a call. I'll come up. We'll, we'll, we'll go over old times and, and talk about it. And I never heard from him, never heard from him, never heard from him. So I went up to the uh, uh, presentation anyway only to find out that he had passed because they had oh. put it in the uh, – in the uh, uh, brochure advertising. Yeah, right. So I had to tell a story that he wanted me to share as I told this story, and then two other people came up and said, oh, I was going to tell that story. (laughs) I said, well, it happened between Doug and I, so I don't know you would be a third person (laughs) talking about it at this point. Or maybe it was. It was... it was a little sad parting. So my first instructor's gone, and now Wendell Castle is gone. Yeah, right, yeah. Wendell Castle, yeah. right. Yeah. And I took a couple of classes with him as well. <clears throat> so, yeah, my mentors are going away now, <clears throat> and hopefully I'll be around for a little while longer. But well, <laughs> well yes. I mean, no, it's, it's interesting because uh, I think that I first came to woodworking because I found Wendell Castle's book of wood lamination <gasps> in the Agricultural and Engineering Library at WVU, West Virginia <laughs> University, you know, sometime in the early 80s when um, I was obviously avoiding what I needed to be doing at that point in time. And that's, that's a, it, it, changed my, it changed my world. I mean, it was like, wow, you can do this. And uh, then many, many years later, he was <clears throat> at, he actually gave the keynote address. Philadelphia. At, was it Philadelphia? Yeah. It was Philadelphia, and he gave that his infamous talk of, you know, if if you think your con- if you think your work is continually hitting the bullseye, well then you need to step back and get further away and make it more challenging. And the appropriation thing, appropriating designs from other people. people. He right. talked about him. Really went off on that. Yeah, well. and I remember that. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time I ever heard Wendell Castle speak, or I didn't meet him, mm-hmm. but I mean he was 
he was definitely an influential force mm -hmm. in, in my getting me to Haywood. And, really? And, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, I spent a brief amount of time at Indiana University of Pennsylvania with oh, Chris Wyland. Yeah. 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 Which, was he, a, was he a student with you at the same time? No, or he was no. before you or after you? I don't really know whether it was before or after. But you guys are about the same age, yeah. so he yeah. might have. I met him once. And, yeah. You know, we talked about but, him. no, I mean, I, I, I think in, in drawing my history back, two most influential people in my career as a woodworker are you and Chris Weiland, hmm. and you can draw your roots back to RIT. Mm -hmm. And I think there's definitely a line that goes through all of that, which I find pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, can I back up a little bit? You asked, uh, the first question is my earliest recollections. Yeah, of yeah. Yep. I took that as making things. I might not have been doing woodworking, but when I was young, I made a lot of things. Well, yeah. What, I mean, so I what, did, what, did, exactly. what did you what did The biggest you make? thing I had, yeah. I have, I think it's about... 65 model cars. I got into the model oh, car. Oh, you did models too. I could drive. Yeah, so I loved model, model cars. cars and customizing them. I did planes and stuff too. Well, I did those too, but when yeah. I got into cars. And so I lots and lots of model cars. Of so you wanted to keep your hands busy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When my friends were out playing and running around, I was up in my uh, little room and studio making model cars and gluing things. stuff together yeah, yeah, yeah painting things yeah. customizing things never leaving anything the way it came oh, out of the man. box well that so leads that was in. the creative part of it yeah but also um as far back as elementary school i was always drawing a lot okay and i was always being reprimanded for drawing in class and my notebooks were always covered with lots of little drawings <laughs> and things and little sketches and that none of them were offensive none yeah. of them were i wasn't drawing the teacher making funny faces or anything but you drawing. you were the kid that drew on the quiz and yes, stuff like that yeah <laughs> i either drew cars or in in elementary school it was probably world war ii so i was yeah. drawing tanks and airplanes and oh, battle scenes sounds and things. like but that drawing then <laughs> led me into making things like making mm -hmm. cars and uh well, we didn't have a soapbox derby in our neighborhood, mm -hmm. but we made soapboxes, <laughs> soapbox yeah. cars, and we had a hill right near Little our house. Little go-karts or whatever. And we could go down. Didn't get into go-karts. Mm -hmm. Now, that, by the time the go-karts came along, I was old enough to get my learner's permit to drive a car, so right. yeah. <laughs> we didn't deal with that. But I had always been making things mm -hmm. along the way, and my father was big on always improving the house, putting additions on, building garages and things, and so I was involved with the construction part of that. So a lot well. of hands-on stuff. A lot in, of hands-on stuff. Yeah. In and your my father years. was a mechanic. He, mm -hmm. he, uh, oh wow! Okay. Was a service manager, so he taught me a lot about auto indirectly taught me a lot about auto <laughs> mechanics and I didn't realize how much how little I knew until I moved away from home and realized I had to figure out how to keep the car going myself and <laughs> and that's sort of the foundation for how I like to teach mm -hmm. you know throw you in over your head yeah here see if you survive jump in and, <laughs> and my swimming coach says the same thing <laughs> oh, that's, that's the best <laughs> metaphor there is because literally they're throwing you in <laughs> yes yeah. In fact, he had us do a workout recently, and the workout was entitled um, uh, Fatigue. And boy, did it fatigue you. But what it, when it was all done, he explained what it was about. It was to see what you would do with your fatigue. And unfortunately, I had to stop and walk to the end of the lane a few mm -hmm. times because I was just so out of gas. Yeah. And when he mentioned that, he said, okay, now that's, that's, that's probably not the best way of dealing with your fatigue. You know, keep going, even if you're going slow, just keep going. And since then, <clears throat> I've totally improved my 
handling of how I get fatigued at this point. But it's the same idea as when, I, uh, when you design something and you have no idea how to make it, but you jump into it anyway and you figure it out. Yeah, just push well, it. And you let you us either through. figure it out or you discard it and try well, something and, easy. And you gave yeah. us all the freedom to do that. I yeah. mean, I was, uh, you know, uh, not to repeat myself, but, uh, you know, you mentioned Jerry Osgood. Well, when I was there, there was a student doing, wanted to do a, pretty much a copy of a Jerry Osgood desk. And, and I can't remember his name. I just remember he had blonde hair. And, uh, <laughs> but it was involved a huge steam bend. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't believe, you know, it, you know, we broke all the steam bending rules. It was, you know, it was uh, kiln dried wood mm-hmm. and it was a huge bend. And it was like, I believe it was like the whole first year class bending this huge timber. <laughs> and you knew it was going to crack and you knew it wasn't going to work and you knew it was derivative. And you just said, let's see go for it. it. Let's see if it works. Yeah, yeah. let's see if it works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always I, I love that part about your teaching. But um, I think we're getting a little ahead of the game, maybe. Well, we backed up. Yeah, I mean, we're not going... Yeah, this is a non-linear discussion here, forwards yeah. and backwards. Hey, it works. Yeah. Um, so you came down here and you started the program, mm-hmm. but you already, had a, you already had a teaching background at that point. Yeah, you had, I, I taught, taught in public schools yeah. for a you, while. And while I was teaching in public schools, I would come in at, after hours and work in the woodshop. Uh, the woodworking instructor there knew me, and <clears throat> I'd showed him some work that I did in undergraduate school, and he said, oh, if you want to come in and use the equipment, you're, you're welcome to do that. Yeah. Public school, to give you keys, to come in after hours <laughs> and work. <laughs> wow. In fact, I remember one night, uh, the three art teachers, there was an elementary school art teacher, uh, um, one of the high school art teachers, and I was teaching junior high at the mm-hmm. time. We all got together, and we decided we were going to do raku. So we had an electric kiln yeah. in, in my uh, art room. We put the, the pots in the electric kiln, heated them up, threw them into a bucket with sawdust, and then ran them down the hallway, down the stairs, and outside. <laughs> to smoking, out smoking out the whole up, building in the process. Smoking, smoking up the whole building in the process. <laughs> and we're out there, and the smoke is just pouring out all over the place. And a police car pulls up. I said, what are you doing? He said, we're, we're doing some experiments for the students. And, oh, okay. And he drove away. And this is at night. It's a dark. <laughs> <laughs> Three people Flames running coming out the... of the bucket. <laughs> so, so, okay. So That's anyway, great. A little, a little aside. I would have, actually, it would have been exciting if you said, well, we're doing Raku. And the, the police officer would have just looked utterly dumbfounded <laughs> as you tried to explain Raku. Well, that rac- might have been mentioned, but uh, no, they were more <laughs> yes. concerned about oh, why there was smoke and fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. When, you, when you came down here, that was in 1976? Uh 76, yes, yes. So, Labor Day of 76. Wow, wow. So talk about the, f- the first few years of getting the program started. It's, uh, we know about the tennis court, but... <laughs> okay, when I, when I arrived, uh, I had interviewed like six months before that. Okay. <clears throat> okay, and in that six-month intern, they had hired somebody from Knoxville, uh, UT Knoxville, to come over and make up uh, an equipment list. Because okay. they had to start spending money. Right, uh, the, right. A grant had been given. Before the, the end of the year, they had to. That kind yeah. of thing, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so he ordered a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. And then I came through and had to unpack it all and unpack it all and only to find out, where's all the stuff I need? <laughs> you know, one set of chisels. For, for 12 the, students. For the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and I think there were maybe, I'll be generous, maybe a dozen clamps, something like that. 
This guy, but he got all he got the planer, the joint. He got all the main. This guy wasn't right? a woodworker. Obviously. No, he was a sculptor. <laughs> okay. He was a sculptor. No, not one of those. Oh, no. And he happened to use wood in his sculpture, but uh, not, I wouldn't call it fine woodworking concept, right. but he had a, a basic understanding of tools and things. Now, he did a little better on the carving tools. He had a couple of different sets of mm -hmm. carving tools that he ordered. But <clears throat> when I got here, there was a huge budget. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, whatever you need, go ahead and order it. Wow. Our president at the time used to teach uh, industrial arts uh, here in Haywood County. And then he oh, was okay. President, so he knew all about what wood, wood shop needed. So yeah. when I ordered 12 workbenches, he said, what do you need 12 workbenches for? You, you can put four people around a bench. You know, you don't need a bench for every student. And what do you need so many chisels for? You could put them in an ammunition box and put them on a cable and haul them up to the ceiling at night so nobody can get into them. <laughs> and fortunately, <laughs> Gary Klontz, <laughs> Being a good administrator that he was, he just jumped in and, and straightened the president out and said, no, this is what we need. It's like everybody <clears> needs <throat> their own tools. And yeah. <laughs> so we, we finally passed that. And after, wow. I think, the, uh, after our first exhibition, then the whole campus finally realized what these crazy people were doing down here in the scrap. Making area. all this noise. Yeah. And <laughs> then, then we had some credibility after that. So, in setting up the shop, <coughs> if, if you re you both remember the old shop, yeah, oh yeah, okay. oh for sure. That center wall wasn't there at the time. Oh, between the bench, it was machine just room. one great big. Place. Oh so, wow! And that's why I have a hearing loss. <laughs> oh, because you know, somebody <laughs> running the router or the planer and anything, and you're standing next to a workbench trying to talk to a student, especially the benches that were right near the machine area. Right. And I have to admit, that's way before we realized we needed to wear earmuffs. Yeah. I think there was one or two pairs of earmuffs kicking around the shop at that. At if you're that next point. to something really noisy. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I. Or you remember it. And <laughs> they were very uncomfortable, so nobody wore them. Yeah. It's kind of thing. Nah, so. I mean, unfortunately, that was the first ten years of my, you know, working <clears throat> construction. I never wore any hearing protection, mm -hmm. so I'm in the same boat. I've lost that whole high end of my hearing. Yep, that's my problem as well. Yeah. yeah. My wife thinks I need hearing aids, but you know, that's a that's a different story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, what did you say, honey? It's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Selective hearing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but after, uh, also, when I came down here, I had a student uh, that I was working with in Peters Valley, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, he really he enjoyed working with me. So he said, uh, "Mind if I apply to that program too?" And I said, "No, you're welcome to do that." He said, "Well, I'll, I'll come down there early if you want, and I'll help you set up the shop." So I said, great. So wow. he came down and That's uh, wonderful. he lived with me. Uh, I'm in the house and he's lived with me. And uh, for, let's see, it had been from uh, September to January, we set up the shop, just the two of us yeah. building it. Well, since he was helping me, he, he had to be covered by insurance. So he had to be a student. So he took a couple of classes at the sawmill <laughs> program. Would I, would I D course and something else? I can't yeah. remember. But that uh, qualified him as a student on campus, so he could then, in his off hours, come over and help me work and set up the shop. Wow. That's so, so I had help doing that yeah. at this point. That's great. <clears throat> but it, it wasn't just arranging the equipment and figuring out what we needed in, in terms of tools, but there was no curriculum. Yeah, that was my next point. So what was what was your vision for the program when you started? Because even though, I guess it was created by a grant that you didn't write. Right. So were you given any marching orders on what their vision was? 
So nope, they just said, hey, we'd come up with a curriculum for a pr production crafts program that can serve as a model for the state of North Carolina. Oh, so and, <clears throat> and each of the instructors wrote their individual programs. And then, of course, we, as a group, we wrote the uh, related classes, the marketing, mm -hmm. the businesses, and all of that. Wow. Uh, and that was the hard part. Yeah, I can. I mean, it's yeah. easy to write one class, but when you have to start, you had to come up with the whole two-year curriculum. Exactly. So I, I obviously modeled it after my experiences. Yeah. So I modeled some of it after what I learned from Doug Ziegler, mm -hmm. and also uh, what we did in graduate school. Because in graduate school, the first year, um, I got thrown in with the freshmen, uh, and so I had to prove myself, kind of. Uh, so the first year, actually, first two quarters they were they were 11 week sessions uh, I worked with first year students and did the same projects that the hand cut dovetails the hand planing of the boards and learning the machines pretty much what we did in the first year here yeah yeah I, I remember that actually it was interesting uh, we were talking with uh, Russell Gale and his experiences at the College of the Redwoods and that's how they started only they started with a piece of hard maple I'm pretty sure we started with a piece of poplar <laughs> no I usually give I or maybe it was well, soft maple it may have been in, at, at your time that you picked a piece of wood, but later on I would always provide a piece of maple. Oh, okay. I don't remember mine being maple. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm remembering it. Because in RIT, we went down the wood room and everybody selected their own piece. I picked a piece of birch. Oh. Have you ever tried to hand plane birch? Oh, almost <laughs> impossible. <laughs> but it forced you to take that plane apart many times and sharpen that blade yeah. many times until you could get it to work. You know, But okay. the worst thing about it is you plane the board up, then you had to cut it in half and glue it together. I remember. Okay, then you had to make a tray out of it. And I carved my tray, so all the hand planing that I did was totally gone at that point, <laughs> except the glue joint. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, I, I'm sorry, I, I, uh, I interrupted. You were, you were talking about uh, developing the curriculum. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it, again, the, the, it was based on what I'd learned at RIT, and then after that I had to uh, figure out each year or each oh, quarter, wow. because we were on, uh, down here we were on 11-week uh, quarters as well, four quarters a year. There was a fall, a winter, a spring, and a summer quarter. And it wasn't until, gosh, I'm guessing back, I'm guessing in the 90s that we switched to a semester system. I don't remember the dates exactly on that, uh, but the state... Uh, offered us a chance, uh, offered the college, Haywood Technical Institute, a chance to become a college. So it became Haywood uh. Technical College, but we had to make some curriculum changes. And then a little while later, they said, well, would you like to be a community college? So it became Haywood Community College Okay. after that. And that brought on the semester system. So we were on the same schedule as universities at that point. Ah, had gotcha. to revamp all those classes again, rewrite all those classes again. So I had to kind of absorb some of the content <clears throat> from one class and mix it in with another class. So between the two years that you were here, uh, things had changed dramatically. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I think I was back in the old days of the quarter system. Okay. And I, although I, obviously my memory of all those things is foggy. <laughs> um, well, do you remember that every fall I would have a cold? <laughs> no. Um, it seemed like every fall, sometime around the end of September, beginning of October, I'd, man, my nose was running and sore throat and all of that every year. And remember. it wasn't a cold. It turned out, for the first time in my life, I developed allergies. Weren't you allergic to walnut? <laughs> Wasn't that part of it? No. Well, my hands would turn Yeah, out. yeah, I remember my hands you talking about out, that. But it didn't bother me, my respiratory system. Okay, I do remember. But something else did. 
And then when I finally fi figured out that it was allergies, uh, I was able to handle it after that. And it's North Carolina. Right. Now it's just part of my daily life. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did you um, how did you maintain your own practice during those teaching years, <clears throat> or did you? I mean, how did you how did you keep doing your own work? Well, the first few years, I uh, I'd say about the first ten years, I did run a uh, part time business, and it was just mainly commission work. But I did a first a few craft fairs as well. Uh, Winter Park in Florida. Um, oh yeah, that's a great one. Uh, well, actually, this was before I came here. Uh, the ACC fairs were in Rhinebeck, New York, at the time, and I did that fair a few times. So I did a series of production items that I could sell, uh, and then always hoping that I'd get some kind of commission out of each. And usually, mm -hmm. with each fair, I'd get at least one or two uh, larger commissions for furniture because I would take furniture with me, not expecting to sell it, but just letting them know it's there. Yeah. And the com production pieces were to pay for the trip and have a vacation and hopefully come back with a little cash in my pocket. Yep. <laughs> after that. Um, so I, I did that kind of thing. And then around 1980, uh, State of North Carolina, State Arts Council of North Carolina <clears throat> approached Haywood and said, we're building a welcome center up on I-77 uh, coming out of Virginia into North Carolina, and we'd like to uh, feature craft work in there. So they hired, uh, uh, they asked me if I would look over my students' work and see if any of the students would be, that I thought were good enough, would be uh, w willing to make some pieces for the Welcome Center. Mm -hmm. And so I think there were three students that made pieces and, and then I made a few pieces for it. And one of the chairs that I did, that Doug Sigler and I had, uh, had uh, worked together in Penland back in the early 70s, <coughs> became the, uh, the foundation for a whole series of chairs that I did. And once they got into the Welcome Center, it was three or four chair orders a year coming out of that, uh, out of the wow. Welcome Center. In fact, every now and then, I still get a postcard or a letter or something. And because I, I didn't give out my phone number. Yeah. <laughs> I let them give out an address. I, I had a camper show up in my front yard one day. People got out of the camper and wanted to see my showroom. <laughs> I had just by chance come home for lunch that day. I never did that. Wow. But I came home for lunch that day, and these people showed up. And I just happened to be making one of those chairs. So they came <laughs> in and looked at it and ordered a set of chairs and a table to go with it. Wow. So my commission work <clears throat> uh, kept going until probably the maybe the mid 80s. And then finally, I realized you're either a teacher or you're a craftsman. And I couldn't do both. I couldn't put both together. I, I, both of them were suffering. So I let the commission work go and uh, just concentrated on the teaching. But I would do speculative pieces. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, let's see, was it 80s? Yeah, 80s. Although I have Late a. 80s. I, I got into wood turning. Right. So I mean, it's, 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 yeah, a couple of questions along those lines. Because I remember, well, one, I remember very distinctly when I was there in 88 or 89, there was actually a set of your chairs being done in the shop. Mm. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember it because we were talking about that, Brian. Because he said he like, saw students. Yeah, because your students were sanding. They were sanding. No, I hired them. You hired them, yeah. right? I hired yeah. the students. In fact, I had one cool. former student. Uh, when he left here, he went up to Boston, worked at the Emily Street Co-op. Right. With I uh, oh, can't remember his name now. Anyway, he worked with a couple of woodworkers up there, and uh, he was. He was up there for about a year, and he wanted to get back down south. So I said, well, if you want to come down here, I'll hire you to um, help me uh, do this commission of, uh, I think it was 
six chairs and a table and a coffee table. Yeah, it was, well. a, it, was a, it was a fair amount of work, yeah. if I recall. And so he, uh, <clears throat> he came. He did some of the work in, in the classroom. He had to sign up for an independent study. So he <laughs> <laughs> worked the in, insurance. The, in the shop. So he would, yeah. we would do all the heavy milling here and then go back to my shop at home, and he would uh, uh, put a lot of it together. Carol helped me on a set of chairs one time as well. Right. Uh, Great. And another student around that time helped me. We did a th uh, two chairs for the Governor's Western Residence here in uh, Asheville. And uh, uh, there were two students that helped me make those chairs. So actually, I might have this all wrong, because I remember we were talking with, with um, Brian about, you know, work boundaries, boundaries around work and then doing your own work. Yeah. And I clearly, I could be completely wrong about this, but I remember there was one day out of the week, it might have been Friday, that you were in the shop, usually turning, and you made it abundantly clear to all of us that you were not there. Did I wear a special t-shirt? You did. And it was like you were invisible that day. Yeah. And you we had, had ma and you had mastered man, that. And on the back it said, "Ignore the turkey." <laughs> yeah. I still have that. Right. So. Uh, One of my students gave me that. <laughs> right. And you had you had mastered that sort of the boundary. Yeah. This was your day that you were there, but not there. Yeah. But. Yeah, but, I remember it was Friday mornings. Yeah. It was well, it varied. When, it depended yeah, on when I was. You know what your teaching schedule yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, sometimes I, it was I, Tuesdays and Thursday mornings or afternoons. Yeah, I just remember you're like you'd be in your office and don't come knocking because you <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> you were there, but you weren't there. <laughs> well, I, when I first started, I had a bench space. The bench, oh wow! Bench okay. right outside my office. Yeah, that was my old one. Well, let me <laughs> back up with this too. One yeah. of the things that encouraged me about taking this job uh, <clears throat> was not only that I could have full creative uh, uh, freedom to create the program the way I wanted. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was imperative that all of us stayed current on our skills and being in the marketplace. Yeah. So we convinced the uh, administration that we needed time away from teaching and space in the studio to produce our own work so we could stay ahead of the so students. So that you could exhibit point. and yeah. do different so things So that's like why that. I had a bench that's here, and really I had that great. bench for, let's see, I built that in 82, so. Well, I was here in 76. In 82, I built my shop. So up to that point, I was working in the, in the wood shop. And that's when I got that uh, You got the, the invisible shirt. man shirt. <laughs> invisible man shirt. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I'd be working at the workbench there, and then, you know everybody's around at that point. Right. But the idea was not just for me to continue doing work, but the idea was, okay, now students can see me doing some things. Yeah. Right. And You're back then, I was doing a lot of dovetails and a lot of fine stuff like that. And so teach you how to do a dovetail. No, no, I do something with dovetails and show you that I, I actually do it. But I had to tell the swimming coach recently, there were a lot of things that I learned how to do. I learned just enough to be able to de make a good demonstration, and then that's about it. <laughs> if I had to sit down and cut a dovetail today, <laughs> I may have a real problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have to practice yeah, that, yeah, at yeah. this point. Sawdust and super glow, it works. <laughs> Fill in those gaps. Yeah, yeah, it, it works pretty well. I can tell you, I actually had a, I cut a set of dovetails for like the first time in 15 years, and it was like, okay, it's close. Dovetail, you know, sawdust and super glow. I mean, I'm, I'm well beyond the point of vanity and perfection. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about the dovetails, <clears throat> I mentioned about Jerry Osgood's chest chairs, and when I saw mm -hmm. those, it was a curved set of tub tails this way but the pieces came together like that so it was curved this way the seat was curved this way and at an angle 
So it, it, there were two curves involved and, a, and an angle involved. And I was always amazed with that dovetail. And I talked one of my students into trying it out one time, and he did it. He did it on an S-curve <laughs> and his dovetail box project. Wow, okay. So then I said, okay, I better see if I can do this too. So I had a, a, a little commission to do a jewelry box, so I did some compound curve dovetails with You that. talked me into doing a, a compound angle dovetail Did I? on my jewelry box. It was like, because... Uh, Painful, huh? It was, it, I mean, I, I don't know. Well, I have to admit that you didn't take a hammer to it. I've had a couple of students uh, take a hammer to their box. My mom still has that box. I've actually. still got mine. It's, yeah. It wasn't curved. <laughs> no, it was it was a compound angle, but mine I mean, pretty as a, simple. obviously as a first-year student, that was challenging enough. But... My memories of the work you were doing was all this experimental turning stuff. You were doing yeah. all this multi, you know, multiple center, you know, off-center turning pa stuff. Painted work. And painted. I'm just sort of curious of the, the origin of your lathe work and then the experimental lathe work. What's, what was the history of that? Um, I had a student that wanted to play in the lathe, and I had a little experience in the lathe, but I, I didn't know a lot at that point. Well, he got... Uh, Peter Child's book on wood turning out of the library, a British wood turner, mm -hmm. and he read it and memorized it pretty much, and he taught me wow. how to sharpen a, a gouge properly and uh, taught me a couple of tricks out of that. <clears throat> and then I got pretty excited about it when I realized, oh, this works a lot better than the way I was doing it. <laughs> and then the uh, wood turning conferences started uh, mm -hmm. over at Aeromont. Right. And, uh, I the uh, AAWs or yeah something like American yeah. Association of Woodturners some A's and some W's in there yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. Like that. <clears throat> um, and I did a piece for their exhibition and it sold in the exhibition so I thought oh Jesus this isn't bad maybe I'll do some more of this stuff <laughs> so uh, I, in those uh, workshops I learned a whole lot from a lot of different woodturners uh, uh, a lot of different woodturners can't remember all the names at this point but but that that got me excited about it and then I came back and just really got into it seriously yeah. but that was also oh I know what it was one of the vases I did I thought I'd start experimenting with um, different surfaces so uh, Wendell Castle was doing ebonizing at mm -hmm. the time so I got his ebonizing formula <sighs> what a pain it was <laughs> It was all these chemicals you had to mix together. There's got to be a better way. But anyway, Benfield Chemical was in town, and so I got ferric sulfide from him for the iron that I needed. Right, <laughs> as opposed to just the vinegar and rusty nails exactly, trick. Exactly, right. This intensifies it. Um, I can't remember the other two chemicals at this point, but it was nasty stuff. Ooh. Anyway, I, I uh, ebonized this uh, offset turn base that I did, <clears throat> And it was in a gallery in Asheville for a, a while. Nobody bid on it. And then finally they called me one day and said, you know, something funny is happening to your vase. And so I went over and looked at it. And it started clouding up underneath the, the lacquer finish that I'd put on Oh, it. wow. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do with this? I, so I had no idea. So I sanded it all off. And you couldn't get it all off. So I painted it. So that was the beginning, uh, the beginning. because remember, <laughs> I remember again that you were doing these really, that your pieces were almost entirely painted, yep. and a lot with the, the, you were working with a lot, painting these geometric forms onto yep. them. Was it a lot of airbrushing, or just? Uh, later it got into airbrushing, too, okay. but in, initially it was just brush painting. painting, and one of my students who uh, had moved up to New, York's, uh, New York City, and she was working for a woodwork up there, and she became the finisher there. Okay. And 
So I had gone, I visited her once and uh, said, hey, would you like to come down to a workshop on these special finishes you're doing? <laughs> so she, we invited her down and she did a, <clears throat> a workshop. So you could learn more about finishing. No. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. She taught me about bin. You know what bin is, the uh, uh, right, shellac-based primer, right. mm -hmm. and how to prepare that surface uh, wow. for and a good surface on there. And so I started using that and, and wow. got was into more spraying. And I was, was using, that the inspiration behind? We had a pretty nice spray room, if I recall. Uh, I mean, was it, it in the back of the building, or yeah. was it near the parking lot? It was in the. It was. It was on near the. the other it side was of the near the parking room. lot. Okay. Yeah. That, that, would that be the parking yeah, it was lot? Close That's to the second spray room. The first one was just oh. outside my office. You know, the, oh. the double door. Oh no! It, there's a oh. bulletin board there now, but there was double doors leading to a hallway to the pottery studio. Mm -hmm. And in that hallway, there <laughs> were a set of lockers that students could use. Nobody used the lockers, so we mm -hmm. stripped all the lockers off and put a wall up and made that a finishing room. Wow. And we ducted it outside, so if you walked out the door to the kilns and somebody was spraying, you would get all the overspray right. <laughs> oh, no. on you. And then the insurance company said, you yeah. know, you can't really have a spray room in the middle of a, <laughs> a yeah. building like that, especially that building. Okay. So that's when we moved it out into that back room. Oh, right. Because okay. that back room originally was a uh, lumber storage. Right. Yeah, that that's point. right. And then we stripped out lumber storage and made it a classroom. So there was actually three or four workbenches out there. One wow. Time. So uh, we, I guess we were talking about some the, wood turning. We were talking, right. But uh, I guess oh, the spray, spray room, room right, the location of the spray were, room. You were spraying. I, I remember this like my, my first experience with smelling lacquer yeah. and going, oh, my God. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, it was, I think, yeah. I mean, obviously, after I got into a cabinet shop and I was bathed in lacquer half the day, but it was like, you know, having only experienced like linseed oil. Mm -hmm. was, uh, what is this stuff? Yeah. What is this stuff? And you were doing these really intense layered finishes mm -hmm. that you'd rub through. Mm -hmm. Is that? So that was one thing I did, yeah. Yeah. A lot of it was masking and overlaying of colors. And, and it would take you weeks to do the spraying <clears throat> sometimes, or days. It would take, because you'd yeah. have to wait for everything to dry exactly. completely. Exactly. And it was a very and laborious then you had to clear process. Coat everything and wait for that to dry and rub it out and clear coat it again and, and all of that. Ooh. That's also around the time that I've really started putting a real heavy push on safety because I realized that I didn't know that, boy, you should wear a really good mask when you're in that spray room when you're doing laundry. <laughs> right. So I did. I bought a really good cartridge mask, mm -hmm. and I was still feeling like I was high when I came out of the spray room. Well, when you're in a spray room in shorts and a T-shirt, bare arms, you're bare You're absorbing legs, things. <laughs> yeah. All those fumes are being absorbed through your skin. They don't have to go through your nose. They come through your skin. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized, oh, my God, I'm killing myself at this point. So that's when I got really – Woodshop News came came along. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I, do. I do. Big The big yes, periodical. Yeah, it was, it was and there was always some articles about mm -hmm. safety or yeah. new products in there. And I just read those religiously every time they came in and then added that whole safety issue to the uh, classroom. You know, things like don't cut your finger off that – you know, that, those were pretty obvious, but it was the benign things like, you know, if you're in the machine area, it's probably a good thing to wear a dust mask all the time because mm -hmm. of the dust in there. That's when we bought all the air cleaners. Oh, the, yeah, the ambient air cleaners. Yeah. And when we got the new dust collection system that had the recirculating system that take the air outside, run it through a bag filter, and send it back into the building, even that wasn't good enough mm -hmm. to control the dust. 
And I used to tell people that wear glasses, you've got the best gauge. Just take your glasses off every now and then and look and see if you've got a mist of That's what's of going dust. up your nose and in your mouth. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Oh, God. Exactly. I, yeah, I really don't want to think. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't want to think about what 30 years exactly. of doing this doing this career is done to me well i'm wondering if you know when when i mentioned that i had a cold every fall if that was a a start of it because when i was in peters valley uh, i was doing a lot of um, stacking and carving with body grinders Mm -hmm. spraying dust all over the place never wore a dust mask never wore goggles Mm -hmm. or anything like that never wore earmuffs anything like that and i kept wheezing myself to sleep at night oh gosh and my father noticed that one time when I was home. He said, oh, I'll get you a dust mask. So he got, because he worked for this uh, lift truck company that painted lift trucks as well, yeah. he got one of the uh, spray masks from there and, and gave it to me. It was very uncomfortable. So I didn't wear it that much, <clears throat> but I had it, and, and I used it every now and then. But then when I got down here and discovered there were much better ones that would work for dust and not just not for finishing, yeah. that you had to use two different kinds. So again, there was this learning process of, this is what I'd like to do, I'll, I'll figure out how to do it, and then all these other little problems come along, the health mm-hmm. issues that come along, and how do you deal with that? Wow, it's it it really cool that you had the school to be able to help facilitate your yeah, your, your learning and experimentation. Exactly. And it, yeah, and I mean, I'd be willing to bet that every every teacher goes through that. In fact, you could probably ask Brian this too. He probably yeah. came in, knew exactly what he wanted to do and realized after a year or two that there's a lot of things that he'd probably need to change. Yeah. I'm really impressed with what he's done with, with this studio. I haven't talked to him about how he's changed the curriculum at all or if he has, but just knowing what he's done within that bench area there mm-hmm. to put up the visual aids, that whole wall of things. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, those are really You know, nice. if I was a prospective student coming in, and I looked at that wall, I'd be signing on the dotted line right there. See, so I was like, this is what in. I could do? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. He says he doesn't have time to do a lot of work. That's a lot of work. That is that. a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, I mean. To try to do that while you're teaching, that's a lot of work. Well, I, you know, teaching is a whole career in and of itself. I mean, but, uh, you know, I, I guess part of this, the inspiration behind this podcast mm-hmm. is that at the heart of this, we're makers. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, my contention is it's it's inbred. We just make things. I mean, that's why <clears throat> I came to the program. That's why I'm still making thirty years later. That's yeah, why that's Rob makes. <laughs> and teaching is just an extension of that. It yeah. doesn't mean that you're not. It might mean that you're not actually making tangible objects, but you're making tangible n- mm-hmm. new woodworkers. Yeah. You're making you're, tangible. You yeah, are you're creating these experiences. Yeah, for them. you are. Mm-hmm. You are conveying your knowledge onto a whole other generation of people to carry forth. Mm-hmm. To that's why when we're standing in the hall, I mentioned Brian about all the students' the slides that I had collected over yeah. here. I never got around to collecting those and, and copying them. Mm-hmm. That's my portfolio. That's yeah. my lifetime portfolio. Yeah. I have some on my in my photo files, but they're only the most recent students' work. Uh, but yeah. nothing, nothing from your generation. Um, I guess it's probably from your class on, or maybe yeah, a few years yeah. before that. I've got a lot of slides. See, when you took the photography class, and maybe you remember this, uh, Bob would have you <clears throat> make all these slides, and right. I would always ask for one of the outtakes. Right. I don't care if it's the best one. Just I want a picture of of the work. Some of you gave them to me and some forgot. <laughs> well, it's, you know, an, an interesting thing. And I, and I think, again, part of this whole inspiration for doing this thing, as Rob and I, we did not talk about this whole project extensively. Rob and I basically evolved this project in a matter of two or three short conversations over the last six months. 
I mean, we've yeah. known each other for about 10 years, but it was like, but last year, which I now know was last year, three months ago, I got commissioned <laughs> to build a piece that I first did at Haywood. Oh. <laughs> um, and I built seven or eight versions of this. I hadn't probably built it in 10 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. And that piece, is, that piece is a kernel of me. It's also a big kernel of you. And it's, it was really fascinating because I'm getting kind of weepy-eyed and teary as I'm getting towards the end of my career and my body's falling apart. And, you know, it's like I was thinking about my roots. I mean, it was like this piece. And that was when I, I was going through my bridge phase when I was at Haywood. <laughs> what, what piece was it? It was the bridge writing desk. It was the, it oh, was, yeah, 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 it was yeah, the yeah. you know, it was the stack laminated. It was the <laughs> stack laminated beams that, mm-hmm. over the, the walnut veneered pedestals. Mm-hmm. And the beams were offset. And I, then I, it was the turn tubes. And was that, it an arch? It was an arch. Yep. yep. I know what you remember it. About. Yeah. And <laughs> See, that, this is the interesting thing. A lot of times, in fact, I, I told you that I, I met up with an old student from way back. When I first saw her, I didn't see her. I saw her work. I remembered her work. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, then, of course, I remember, but, I remember her name. But what I first associated with her was not her face and what she looked like. Who piece she of was furniture person, she made. It was her work that wow. she did when she was a student. And that's what I remember from a lot of students. I forget names yeah. very easily. Now. Yeah. Another reason I quit, I retired, I couldn't remember my students' names. I was calling them by the wrong name. Oh. <laughs> and I finally oh. said, this is it. i got to yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it was the curious process of how much of that piece was me and how mm-hmm. much of it was 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 you and mm-hmm. you say my students work I, i'm sure i came to you with the the roughest of rough sketches i mean you know the everybody did yeah and and a Here's lot a of the shapes how do i put them together yeah and the in the details or what you helped really? me figure out do you yeah. know the veneering the uh mm-hmm. the um you know the you know that that jerry osgood uh you know lamination mm-hmm. you know yeah i remember the pedestals now too yeah. They were uh, one side straight, one side slightly tapered. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and of course there was, you know, the, the two turnings, which the, which cantilevered mm-hmm. out over the, over the arches that yeah. supported the desk. The stretchers and, that and pull a, the desktop flat. Right. <laughs> pull the desktop flat, but I would have never have, I never would have offset the arches. I would have probably just distributed them equally. Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole visual thing of, you know, creating that cantilever. Mm-hmm. And of course, again, the compound angle dovetail drawer. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, it's, like it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting to mm-hmm. think about that role you played with mm-hmm. hundreds of students mm-hmm. and, you know, how that, you know. <sighs> yeah, I had one student who wanted me to write a textbook. And he was he was going to write it. He was uh, a journalist major or something mm-hmm. like that. And he, he an uh, older fellow. He was older than me at the time. So he must have been in his fifties when I was in my mid thirties or something like that. And he thought that the program needed it. So he actually wrote a chapter for me to, to show. And I said, No, that's not quite what I what I would sign on for. And it kind of fizzled out. And part of it was he. Not that there's anything wrong with this, but he was ex-military. And he, there's a way of doing things, and you do it this way. Yeah. And that's not the way I work. No. This is a way to start, <laughs> and then there's all these other things you could do. I think that's why I identified so yeah. well mm-hmm. with you as as a teacher, because my dad's military, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to do anything like that. So I was like, it made sense to me. 
your approach to things. Yes. Yeah. Follow your own path. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Plant a seed and yeah, yeah. you yeah. water it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody's mm-hmm. got to start with a basic set of skills, mm-hmm. and that. But that's just the jumping off point. Yeah. I mean, you've got so, to then. So the so the idea for the book just went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, never did. Never did the book. Oh, also the state uh, came along and wanted us to do competency-based education. Oh, so like... What does that even mean? It <laughs> means, think about the hand plane project. I had to write, uh, for that hand plane project, all of the outcomes that I wanted you to achieve in that, and my expectations for those outcomes, and how do I get to it. <clears throat> so, hmm. got to take a plane apart. Why do you take a plane apart? Identifying the parts. How to sharpen the plane how to put it all back together. That one exercise took me four pages to write. Oh my goodness. And I said, this is absolutely ridiculous. And yeah. I, never, I never did another one. And wow. the administration kept after me and kept after me, kept after all of us about it. And all of us kind of struggled with that. They said, no, that's just not the way we work here. That's this is <laughs> not the way artists and craftsmen work. No. Creative people don't work not that at all. way. Yeah, I mean. If somebody wants to write so a book about it, they let us go. <laughs> and and you eventually got them to. Uh, uh, they just stopped badgering us. They just yeah, stopped, right. Good. I don't know what they've done with Brian now. They may have, you know, having been a new teacher here for a while, they may well, have I mean, convinced I'm, him that it had to be done. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, no, I think you know the society has always been very outcome <clears throat> based, you know, and it's like, well, what tangible mm-hmm. can you say that this yeah. does? Can and, you prove it works? And you know. <laughs> Art exactly. is the uh, antithesis of uh, tangible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's purely, it's it's just ethereal thing. It's a just lot of ethereal the time. thing. I, mean, <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, it's like yeah, you learn a lot with each project, and and each project is unique, and each the lessons from each project are unique, mm-hmm. and I guess if you want to write a book about it, you can. That reminds me about the book. He wanted me to have the project all laid out, the, the dovetail box, all the drawings done, all the specifications done number of dovetails, sizes, shapes, and all that. He wanted the projects to be cookbook experiments, basically. Oh, wow. And, and I hmm. said, no. Yeah. That's, that's not it. Can't that's do not that. not it. So we parted ways, but on friendly terms. He was, he was a very nice guy. I really yeah. enjoyed him. And I appreciated the fact that he thought it might help. Uh, but we didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be curious if, if Brian's been approached for that. Or That'd be interesting. Considering it. Yeah, I don't, I don't it's know. It's way more intuition than... Yeah. Than following a recipe. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. It's it, it's hard for me to do that. You know? But you know what's weird is, having said that, I was following a recipe when I set up the program because right. I was modeling it after RIT and Buffalo State and what I'd learned from those yeah. different But you also, you, t- you took it and made it your own. Eventually. You know? Eventually. I mean, that's kind of what I do when <clears> I, you know, <throat> we refer to the, the, the like, Andy Ray's book that you, yeah. you led us into mm-hmm. and you know Tay Frid's books oh I was gonna I was gonna mention that the Tay Frid book which we all I mean that's how we learned how to cut compound angle dovetails was Tay Frid's book and you learn (laughs) we learned it and then we took it for our own and 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 went further you know I know I always keep those books around I always refer to them Mm -hmm. well not always but you know I get stuck with the problem or got a question it's like oh cool and go look at them I I still have Tay Frid's book on my bookshelf was there more than one volume of it? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, there's like yeah. four volumes. There's like four volumes. I yeah. might only have one. I've, yeah. That's, a, that's and as I mean, far they've, as they've printed them so much that 
like they were in hardback when I got them and they're in paperback now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I think it's silly to get a paperback book to have in a wood shop, but yeah. <laughs> if you're going to look at it a bunch, it'll yeah. destroy it. Well, people had given a lot of collections of fine woodworking magazines. Yeah. And we had those as resource materials. Yeah, that was great. I loved looking and through And I those. met the, when I was doing the Rhinebeck craft fair back in the early seventies, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> I met the original publisher of Fine Woodworking Magazine. He was just thinking about putting that magazine together and he was interviewing woodworkers at the Rhinebeck Craft Fair at that point. Oh, wow. Uh, so the origins of Taunton Press. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And so huh. he, he, and I said, oh, I'll give it a try. <clears throat> so I, I got the very first issue and uh, I let my subscription expire the day I retired. <laughs> and so I haven't had one since. And I, I don't even look at them. I go to the library every now and then just glance at the cover, but I yeah. don't look at them. But, you know, oddly, but I, I use those as textbooks. I, yeah, oddly I enough, too. I still go to the library. I mean, I left my fine woodworking subscription lapse years ago when, you know, I guess I snobbily got the opinion, oh, I'm a professional, this is more geared towards the hobbyist. But, I mean, it's still... Oh, no. and. I'm, I'm going to profess that's a very snobby opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of information there. There's you, a lot you, of... You may only get one thing out of one magazine, but that one thing may be a, a game changer yeah. along uh, the way. But I always loved the gallery section. I always loved to see yeah. what people yeah, are that doing. Was yeah. fun. I mean, I think or that's... The, or the back page. That well, they used great. to do a design book. <laughs> You know, at least the design. Oh, I own yeah. all the design books. Yeah. I mean, oh, it was sad when they stopped doing them, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, was, I mean, you know, obviously and that was the, the cheapest thing for them because they didn't have to pay for anything. People yeah. gave them photographs. And exactly. All they had to do was print them. Yeah. So yeah. nobody had to write an article or anything. Well, I mean, I think unfortunately the the relevance of design books in the in the digital age is yeah. not as great because you can get online and see yeah. see that. But oh, the evil word of Pinterest. Yeah, I, world of Pinterest, it was yeah. again. But those were those books were our Bibles when mm -hmm. when I was here. For sure, I mean, um, you know, we wouldn't have known about Jerry Osgood or any of those people unless we had, you know, mm -hmm. spent hours poring over every mm -hmm. single. There might have been two design books out by that point or three. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately there ended up going to be a little nerdy, but I think there's seven or eight of them. Yeah, I think you're right. That was very nerdy, but you're right. <laughs> no, I mean, those, those, were, those were the design Bibles, because that, to that point, that was sort of the compendium of the, the breadth of what people were doing in our field. Right. And they, they, they ranged the gamut, everything from people still doing very traditional ball and cloth stuff to, to the RIT grads mm -hmm. coming out and blowing mm -hmm. everybody's minds, mm -hmm. going, we're going to color outside the lines. Mm -hmm. And now there's a lot of schools that do that right. at this point. Yeah, I was amazed at the, at the conferences and how many schools were actually uh, doing the same kind of thing that we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Although, no, they weren't doing the same kind of thing. They were teaching some very fine woodworking and design courses, but very few of them were doing anything with business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's one I mean, reason that was why I ended up going to school. That's the thing that set us apart for many years. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I'm curious, you know, um, what are you curious about, Eric? Well, uh, <laughs> you're curious about something. I'm curious about others. And I'm, I'm just curious, you know, you know, thinking back on this 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 career as an educator, you know, what are your what are your thoughts? And I'm also curious. I wonder how many of us actually that came through the program went on to to actually still slog it through for a career. Oh, so those are two separate <clears throat> questions. One you probably don't know, and the other you. I'm sure I've thought about quite a bit. Oh, I have. And, and actually, uh, 
you probably remember from your interview when you interviewed me mm -hmm. that I talked, I gave you a, a, an unscientific <laughs> uh, statistics about <clears throat> uh, graduates. In the early days, it was really easy to keep track of all these graduates. Uh, but then it got harder and harder and harder, so I've lost track of a lot of people. So I mm -hmm. don't know how many are still doing this at this point. Uh, and the only ones that I'm really keeping up, like I mentioned, Rob, uh, somehow I, I get your alerts <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> I get David Scott's, and, yeah. uh, I, and they're all over the place. There's some, some up in New England, there's some out in California, some up in Chicago that I get. Yeah. Um, and I even got a letter once from uh, Yutaka Hashimoto from Japan. Oh wow! Who was, he was here. I no, he was here, probably between you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you had mentioned him, but uh, yeah. But he's doing woodworking. He's cool. still doing woodworking in Japan at this point. That's he great. had sent me some photographs, of, or how do you do that? In an email, he had sent me some photographs. Okay. Carol kept in touch with him a lot. She had gone to Japan and visited him. Oh really? Him. Yeah. Wow, and, that's uh, really cool. And gave him my address, and <clears throat> he got into it. That's the one. If there's a good thing about the Internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, I would you know, absolutely. Emails to Facebook. I don't use Facebook myself. I have an account, and I don't think I've I don't looked use it at much. it in, <laughs> yeah, I don't. in many years, so, so I don't we, even know what's on it. We post on Instagram for a lot of things, and that goes to Facebook. Ah, right. So yeah. I don't even get on Facebook. See, I, d <laughs> I don't even use Instagram yet. I don't... I, I, it's neat for posting pictures, I, and that's all I use it for. Well, not to go down the rabbit hole. You're not missing anything. Okay, thank you. Right, not to go down the rabbit hole of social media, but it, no. you know, it is a good way to keep up with your artist friends exactly. who exactly. and see what they're yeah. visually yeah. up to. Especially when they're. Well, in... I have to admit that every now and then I'll, I'll say, "Oh, what happened to Joe Schmo?" And then I'll look at, I'll look his name up on, on I'll Google it. Yeah. And sometimes I get a hit, and sometimes I don't. But yeah. every now and then I get, "Oh, yeah, this is really nice. Yeah, He's still doing it," kind of thing. But I don't do that that often anymore yeah. you know th because uh, when i retired um i pretty much burned out on on yeah. woodworking for a yeah. while it wasn't I'm just the teaching i didn't mind the teaching part but i just got tired of woodworking for a while yeah. so i had to take a big break and i didn't do much i in fact in the last 10 years maybe i've made three significant pieces mm -hmm. everything else has been fix this fix that yeah or yeah. whatever but uh, I am doing something that's very different. You, you know, we have a restaurant. Yeah. And well, so when I we, retired, we, I became the. We uh, ate there yesterday morning. <laughs> we yeah. ate there yesterday morning. And, uh, yeah. You uh, got in, huh? I've, <laughs> I've eaten there many times. Every time I'm in Asheville, I go to really? the Sunny Point. Yeah. I, it's a. It's a. It's a. We it's actually, required. We actually stayed at a Airbnb just up Majestic, right oh, across the street okay. on uh, Bruce Mott Circle. Yeah. And so we were right there, right in the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, the restaurant is obviously very successful beyond our wildest dreams yeah. so we've invested in a lot of rental properties so for the last 10 years i've been uh, fixing up rental property oh, cool. <laughs> maintenance man here yeah. and there now i've gotten to the point that we've actually hired a contractor mm -hmm. that's full-time on our payroll to handle all the rental properties wow. and if i need Good. he came put a new roof on my shop <laughs> so <clears throat> i've been doing uh let's say renovations and repairs yeah. I did a staircase. I guess that's more significant too. Yeah, yeah. Right. in some of these places. But I've been keeping uh, active in not in fine woodworking, but in construction and mm -hmm. that. And the last two years, I finally said, "That's it. I'm retired." And For that's real, your second the, retirement. <laughs> four years ago, swimming started, and after two years of that, and after I had my heart surgery, I said, 
I don't need this aggravation of, of worrying about rental houses anymore or that we got a contractor that does this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to concentrate on my health and swimming. So that's that's been my life. Right. That's for the great. Last four years at this point. But uh, I'm going to drag you back to that first question. Your your thoughts on sort of your thoughts on your career as a as a teacher. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of what I did. I guess. Yeah. That says it all. Yeah, no, that's a, that's <laughs> yeah, a big I, statement. I, I, I learned that at a certain point that I'm not as viable as I once was, so it's time to separate myself from this, and you know, I quit at just the right time. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, every now and then a former student comes along. Susan is <coughs> constantly calls me for some advice every now and then. Oh, that's great. And packed at the sunny point, did you notice the bar? Yeah, yeah. And all the wood trim in there? Susan yeah. Did, Susan did all that. And oh, the hanging cabinet. That's oh, yeah. Down. Yeah, she did, she did all of that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Susan's a big part of my life. Yeah. Sharing a studio with her for the yeah, that's right. longest did, time while did. I was in. Yeah. Well, she has her own studio now. Yeah. yeah she's got a two-car garage that she's got in. Yeah, that's great. She's still working for another former student part-time. Yeah, a cabinet shop, I uh, believe. What we call banging boxes. Banging boxes. <laughs> so yeah. She does kitchen wow. cabinets and installation. And, and this student is a good... No, he's a terrible businessman, but he's good at pricing and he's good at um, organizing the shop yeah. and investing in the shop, but he doesn't do much on marketing. So Susan was helping him with a marketing part. <laughs> good for her. And realized that he wasn't as good a designer as she was. Mm -hmm. So she has now been doing the design work wow. for him as well. Wow. <clears throat> so that keeps her afloat and then she can do her commission work in her, in her own studio wonderful. at this point. I've recently started um, having my work at, uh, at Grover Gallery. Mm -hmm. So the first time I went up there to take my furniture there, there's a piece from Susan. So it was, it's cool. I feel like she's keeping an eye on me from yeah. a distance. Well, <laughs> she's, uh, she's done very well through the Grovewood as well. Yeah. But more recently, she's just gotten a lot of orders from, I don't know, some of them are returning customers or, I don't know, people she's met. But yeah. she's got a lot more work than she can handle right now. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. <laughs> well, it is, but at the, the well, flip side of that, she she needs to do some housework. <laughs> she needs a roof. Yeah. <laughs> Next, yeah. Uh, she's got little things that need to be done, and all of that is falling to the wayside while she's doing the the money making part of it. Yeah. And that, that's one problem with uh, with this whole industry. If you're mm -hmm. working from one commission to the other, you know, it that drags on you. It must. Oh yeah. It must. Oh yeah. Oh, it does. I mean, that's what I do a lot of. It's. Uh, <clears throat> You know, it can be soul-sucking. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I try to do the stuff that makes the money to get to the stuff that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. But often I end up having to do the stuff that makes the money And first. I the, mean, it, it takes priority. The passion gets and left behind makes, a little bit. That makes me a grumpy guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when I first started in Peters Valley. That's when I first started doing the, uh, my own business at yeah. that point. And realizing that I couldn't even afford a six-pack of beer, so anybody that came to visit, the requirement was they had to bring the beer. At that point, and <laughs> I can great. remember <laughs> Fort Schuyler beer, Fort seventy-nine cents a six-pack. Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow, that's a pretty low threshold. Well, for that's when Budweiser was ninety-nine cents a six-pack. Oh wow! Back in the early seventies, and I'm going, no. I couldn't afford that. <laughs> wow! At that point, and now it's what. 10, 11, 12 bucks a six pack. Oh, yeah, now I'm paying $10 a six pack. That's insane. For something. Wow. Well, so. one kind of the, you know, this is non linear questions. One, 
One of the things I was um, interested in talking about was uh, your some of the collaborations you've mm. done. I know I've seen some with, with Belinda. Yeah. Um, talk about some of that work. Yeah. <clears throat> well, a color came about, you know, the painting came mm -hmm. about um, because of that vase that finished. Yeah, yeah. That didn't work. <laughs> and when I mentioned, maybe Belinda mentioned, well, maybe you could paint it. I said, well, I'm not really sure what to do. So I, I bought some paint and I sprayed it on. And she said, uh, you know, that she's good at color. She yeah. went through the weaving program, and mm -hmm. she was a colorist, so she finally said, let me pick the colors. So she went to the <laughs> automotive store with me and went through all those colors and yeah. picked these colors out. That's the start of the collaboration. After that, when we realized we had fun with that and we sold a couple yeah. of them, uh, then it got to the point, and this is kind of interesting, there were times when she would come up with the form of the piece and mm -hmm. I would come up with the paint. And there are times okay. when I would come up with the form of the piece and she would come up with the paint. Now, the form of the piece, she wasn't capable or wasn't interested in making anything. Okay. But she would come up with an idea, and then I would have to flush it out and figure out how to make it. Mm. <laughs> and then we would paint it. And so it was an interesting collaboration. Sometimes I would do the paint. Sometimes she would do the paint. And that was, that was fun. And then Bob Gibson got involved. He said, hey, do you have any old bowls at home that I can play with? And so I said, well, That's I've, I've, cool. got, I've That's got one that I'll, I'll, I'll finish up. And I turned it. And when I finished the bowl, I, I said, gosh, I really like this bowl. I'm not sure I want to paint this. But I promised it to Bob, so, okay, here, Bob, you take it. <clears throat> and he brought it back, and it was gorgeous. What did Bob do to it? Well, it, it, it's really subtle. It, uh, he did a textured white acrylic paint on oh. the outside of it, but then rubbed in color into the yeah. little void because of the texture of the mm -hmm. paint, interior and exterior. Oh, beautiful. Uh, but it just fit the bowl. It's at a distance, it's kind of an off-white, but when you get close, you start seeing all the colors. I still have that bowl. Oh, I, that's I, wonderful. I, you know, I put it in one exhibition, and Belinda said, I hope nobody buys that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and fortunately, they didn't, so we got to keep it. And then uh, Bob had another piece. I, I did another piece, an offset turn piece, mm -hmm. uh, like the one I painted, and I gave that to him. And he cut up some of his canvases that mm -hmm. he had painted okay. and applied that to the wood. Oh, and those wow. were fantastic. So then we got in, we, I think I did maybe five or six pieces with Bob. We did platters, we did tall vases, and he would, I'd make the piece, he would do the painting on it. But then real, Belinda and I realized, well, we like to paint too. <laughs> <laughs> so it. we got back into doing our own thing for That's a while. That's fun. And I guess I should mention that Bob Gibson was our design teacher yes. in the program yeah. in Haywood. Yep. And now he's a full-time jeweler. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I traded one of the first pieces I made here a mirror to Bob for one of his yeah. spray paintings. Oh. He was when he was spray painting yeah, yeah. the 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 wrapping. The, I guess it was Tyvek. It was before there was even Tyvek. It mm -hmm. was that some building wrap, mm -hmm. and he was doing all these spray painted, uh, splatter painted things. Mm -hmm. and it was like the first piece of artwork I ever owned. Wow, that's great. And I traded something I built as a first year student <laughs> yeah we traded a few too i've got oh that's three the, or four paintings yeah. that's <laughs> life's blood i mean we can't afford to buy a whole bunch of stuff so we trade yeah. with the artists hey, who I, we're I, friends with yeah. <laughs> yeah well i've trained it traded it for dentist bills <laughs> i did a jewelry box for a dentist one time that yeah yeah gave me a root canal <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good trade. Both were painful. We've, yeah, I was going to say. I've traded woodworking for uh, dog haircuts and, uh, you know, all sorts of great yeah, stuff. Wow. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's pretty fun. Well, yeah. Um, 
I, and just sort of starting to wrap up here, Wayne, I'm just curious whether you have any questions for us, you know, two, two former students from two different era, eras. Are, I mean, it's okay if you don't. I'm just, uh, hmm. I'm just I curious. Had, I hadn't thought about that. Let's see. I would have asked you, uh, what are you doing these days? But you're still in the business. So yeah, that's, that's half of it. So what are you doing? Uh, or what kind of work are you? You said you're doing sculptural work. Yeah, I mean, so as, we, as we were talking with, uh, with Brian, I, you know, uh, I had to scratch that sculptural itch. I had to go from building functional mm -hmm. objects to making them more and more sculptural and then getting to the point where I was just sort of superimposing a function on an object that really was just pure sculpture to doing pure sculpture. And it seems like, a, it, and it still seems like a purely logical, logical progression for, for me and where I was going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and as I said, as uh, it gets harder and harder to do big work because I hurt <laughs> so much. Mm -hmm. This podcast is the idea. Again, th this podcast is the idea mm -hmm. of, you know, sort of my version of, of you contributing back to 30 years to the, you know, more than 30 years to the community in mm -hmm. terms of teaching. I, I want to give something back to inspire other people and talk to people like you and other makers and go, hey, here's why make, you know? Yeah. Cool. So this is our kind yeah. of, you know. That's why I'm saying I'm proud. <laughs> I'm proud of what I did, but I'm proud of my students because yeah. you, you made me what I am. <laughs> you know, without the students, you know. Yeah. I'm what, not, I'm, not, what, what, I'm, yeah, I'm just. What, why teach? Ordinary woodworker <laughs> like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're you know some of the stuff that I'm doing is uh, commissioning. Well, I've been filming your jewelry uh, uh, cabinets. Yeah, you know, I, I just I, I really like seeing all those pieces parts laid out. Oh, <laughs> I, I just I'm actually on the way back down to Charleston tomorrow. I'm delivering a bunch of liners mm. and dividers for the latest one I delivered to a, a, some folks outside of Clemson. It's the thirteenth mm. one that I've made. Wow. And yeah, I remember the first one. Yeah. You were doing that in the shop with uh, Susan. With Susan, yeah. That was a commission. My mom commissioned me for yeah. the first one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she got the, the awesome discount, <laughs> the mom discount, the almost pay for materials and I'll build it for you. <laughs> and, um, Funny about parents, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> My mom well, was the same hey, way. Hey, I, I should have not even asked for her to pay for materials. She's done so much for um, uplifting my career. And supporting the idea of me doing this, mm -hmm. um, so I'm doing things like that. Commission furniture um, is part of it, and then I'm hoping to spread my wings and and starting to 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 scratch the sculptural itch, as you're saying. But a lot of the sculpture I'm doing is actually more mixed media. I'm doing stuff with um, it's a lot of political stuff with oh, uh, yeah. hand grenades mm -hmm. and different mm -hmm. things like yep. that, and and um, so. It's, you know, I know we've all got a lot to say, and we're trying to say it in different ways. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I'm about to launch into a cherry dining table. And, you know, so I'm mm -hmm. keeping too busy in different directions. But yeah. but it's it's fun. It makes me tick. Um, so we're all really, really enjoying it. And this podcast is the latest, the latest energy. Yeah, and it's it's also a, it's a cool collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, again, it's like anything, you know, you you try something and you see if it, you know, our, our whole careers are just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing if it sticks. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. So that's exactly that. That's probably a good metaphor for it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so on that note, I mean, Wayne, I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled. I yeah. got to talk to you again after God knows how many years. Well, and I hope I'm glad I'm you be joined here us for a while longer. And I, I have been thinking it's time for me to 
try something else now that I'm out of the construction business and all oh, that. Cool. And oh, cool. Susan's great. been trying to talk me into doing something for a long time. And right. well, well, we look, she wants to collaborate on a project. Oh, that's oh, great. Well, but we've been let, talking about this for about a year now instead yeah. of the start of it. Well, yeah. let us know about it. I'm, I'd love to hear <clears throat> what you're up to and, you know, both of us. It's, well, it's, you know, you brought up the, the thing about sculpture, you know. I've had the same problem where everything has to have some kind of function, but yet it's more <laughs> sculptural. I've had the same problem with that. And when I, the, uh, two weeks after retiring, I went up to Penland to do a workshop with Michael Cooper. You know Michael Cooper? He he built those fantastical vehicles, right? Motorcycles. Yes. Motorcycles, oh, right. And yes. a helicopter. Oh, those yeah. Amazing. Yes, yes. Yeah. The helicopter made out of uh, weed whacker uh, motors. Oh, right. <laughs> And like five weed whacker motors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Up. Uh, but he was doing a workshop on his sculptural techniques mm -hmm. with wood. And so I learned a lot about compound bent lamination work with him. And, oh, wow. And, and just how to use a grinder. Yeah. Although my wrist is not strong enough to do what he's sure. doing with a grinder. But uh, that, I did a sculptural piece with that. And I thought, oh, I had to bring that back to Haywood and see if we could enlarge this piece to an outdoor oh, sculpture yeah, with yeah. all this bent lamination. And I was all revved up about it. Then, um, then summer hit, and yeah. well, <laughs> one of the it. It, it's so fun to, to to do that and discover new things. I'm actually I'm rediscovering the fly swatters that oh, I made. Yeah, yeah. I saw and those and uh, I've made another sixty or so in a new batch, but. One of my, you were talking about making that sculpture bigger. Mm -hmm. One of my ideas is to make like an eight foot tall fly swatter mm -hmm. with a giant handle. And, and uh, you know, remember the piece that I made, the, the ladybug table, the big yep. slingshot yep. legs, but yep. have that one of those be the handle mm -hmm. to the, yeah. So it's, there's always ideas mm -hmm. going. And, and that's what, I mean, that's what keeps us going. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we make. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, on that note, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up. And uh, well, I'm gonna say, hopefully, this will be some inspiration for me to get back into doing some. More absolutely. I'm, I'm at a point right now where I'm free, except for swimming. I'm free yeah. to do anything. And uh, my wife has been after me about this. If I can get her to retire, <laughs> well, and we can collaborate. Again. Swimming will keep you here with us longer. So <laughs> yeah, yep. So great. Well, thanks a lot, Wayne. We well, appreciate thank you. it. Yeah, thank you. thanks, Wayne. Okay. Why make? Why make? <laughs>